going to tell you a date that's not going to mean anything to you at the moment. It's October 16th, 2010. On October 16th, 2010, there was a man named Chris Norton, and he did something that was incredibly normal. It was incredibly familiar to him. He lined up on the kickoff team for Luther College. It was the third quarter of an absolutely normal game. And as the play developed, something else incredibly normal happened. Chris Norton made the tackle on the kickoff return. This is where any semblance of normality evaporated very quickly because as Norton made the tackle, his head collided with the knee of the ball carrier and instantly fractured his C3 and C4 vertebrae. A news report of the game said later, as the pile cleared, Norton lay face down, motionless on the ground. And he was taken by ambulance to the Winnesheek Medical Center where doctors stabilized him, enough so that he could be airlifted to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. That evening, doctors uh, had put together a game plan for his surgery and, and finally figured out what they needed to do. And what they did is they took a piece of his hip bone and they used it to fuse his C3, C4, and C5 vertebrae together. That doesn't mean anything to, to most of us. Uh, there's a chiropractor in the room who knows what that means, and then some of God's medical professionals. You know what that means. All right, those are just letters and numbers to me. Okay, but I do realize that this is bad. Okay? Uh, so they, they fused his C3, C4, and C5 vertebrae. And doesn't understand that this is not a measure designed to give somebody mobility, right? This is not the kind of surgery that you perform so that Chris Norton can walk out of the hospital in a couple of weeks. This is the kind of medical procedure that is done so that somebody can survive. In fact, at the beginning of the surgery, doctors were talking with his family, and they said, we're just going to be up front with you. There's about a 3% chance that Chris Norton is ever going to have any mobility below his neck, ever again. And so that's the kind of surgery they're taking him into. Very quickly, though, Chris defies this prognosis. The day after surgery, he's unable to speak because he's got breathing tubes in his mouth, but he found that he was able to shrug his left shoulder slightly. And within two weeks, he, was, uh, he had enough control in his hands to be able to operate an electric wheelchair. And, and things in Chris's upper body continued to improve. Unfortunately, he had absolutely no mobility below the waist. And that's how things continued. For six years, Chris uh, continued to strengthen his upper body and, and, and just uh, understand that his life was going to be without mobility and use of his legs in any capacity. In 2016, Chris decided he was going to propose to his girlfriend, Emily Summers. And uh, when he did that, when she said yes, he developed a plan. And maybe you've heard of his plan. He said, when I get married to my wife and we are pronounced man and wife, I am going to walk back down the aisle with my bride. So for the next two years, Norton trained constantly for his goal. And if we boil it down, if we boil his goal down to just a really simple phrase, his goal was to walk 21 feet. That's it. 
He had the goal of walking 21 feet. And I'd like to show you some of his training. First thing he had to do was gain the ability to stand. He had to be able to stand up. Something that all of us take for granted. We do it every day, a thousand times. But he had to learn to stand. And then he had to be good. Uh, then his goal became standing up consistently. Then he worked on being able to raise his leg with the assistance of his trainer. He worked hard to be able to raise his leg, something that we do so freely and so thoughtlessly. And he worked this way for two years. A few weeks before his wedding, uh, Chris started training with the shoes that he would actually wear in the ceremony on his wedding day. And finally, on April 21st, 2018, Chris Norton walked 21 feet with his bride. Some of you have 21 feet that you'd like to cover. Some of you have 21 feet that you are working as hard as you can to get to. Maybe you want to finish your degree or get a promotion. Maybe you want to kick a habit. And, and all of those things are good. But can I just tell you something? God has 21 feet for you to cover in your faith. God has 21 feet for you to cover in your faith. And no matter what you accomplish in your life, no matter what you want to accomplish, this is the most important 21 feet that you can cover. If you'd open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, I want to show you the 21 feet that God has for you. It's Mark chapter 8. We'll start in verse 31. Here's what we read. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He'd be killed, but three days later he would raise from the dead. And as he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. And Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, and then he reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan! You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So God has 21 feet for us to cover in our faith. God has 21 feet that we need to be working at and training for and spending our lives dedicated to. And he says it in verse 34. Here's what it says. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. We have to give up our own ways, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. In a spiritual sense, that's learning how to walk. And can I, can I just be honest with you? Uh, from my experience in my own life, that's hard. That's really, really hard. It's hard to learn how to walk when you're carrying a cross. And, and not only do we have to learn how to walk, we have to learn how to see. Right? It, it's easy to see what we'd prefer in a situation, but Jesus says we have to give up our own ways. Philippians 2, Paul says a little bit differently. He says, don't look out only for your own interests, 
but take an interest in others too. If we're going to see that way, we have to learn to see that way. And if we're going to walk that way, we have to learn to walk that way. And it's not something that we can do very effectively on our own. Rick actually says, nobody accidentally becomes a stronger follower of Jesus. Nobody accidentally becomes a stronger follower of Jesus. It's not easy. And, and if I'm honest with you, I find Peter completely relatable in this passage. Jesus starts talking about how he's going to have to suffer many terrible things and how he's going to be killed. And Peter says, no, no, Jesus, I'm not going to ever let that happen to you. Peter takes him aside and he starts reprimanding Jesus. Hindsight being 2020, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're reprimanding Jesus, may want to reevaluate the situation, Okay. There's your Bible wisdom for the day. But Peter takes Jesus aside and, and he starts reprimanding him. Why is he doing this? Well, Peter knows that Jesus is the Messiah, but he still has some learning to do on what Messiah means. See, there are a lot of Old Testament passages that talk about the Messiah. Some of them are glorious and hopeful and triumphant, and others are full of suffering. And uh, I just want to give you an example of one of each, one of the glorious kind and one of the suffering kind. So here's the first one. You tell me if this is glorious or full of suffering. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burdens from their shoulders and you will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the armies of Midian. Is that hopeful or um, sad? Is it hopeful or sad? I'm looking for like, not a question at the end of it. Hopeful? It's hopeful. Yeah, that's hopeful. That's a pretty triumphant description of who the Messiah will be and what the Messiah will do. Let me give you the other kind of prophecy about the Messiah. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Obviously, a little bit more of a somber prediction of the Messiah, isn't it? So which one do you think the people of Israel would like to talk about more? Yeah, right. Do you think the people are going to want to talk about this uh, Messiah who is going to break the yoke of slavery and enlarge the nation of Israel, or this Messiah who is going to suffer and die and be buried like a common criminal? And so they want to talk about this Messiah who is going to enlarge the nation of Israel. And so Peter has this in mind. He has this Messiah who will be a glorious, triumphant warrior in mind. What he didn't understand, what many people didn't understand, is that the victory described in Isaiah chapter 9 would be accomplished through the suffering of chapter 53. And so Peter says, Jesus, how dare you do something like that? You are too important to suffer. You should know that I would never let anything bad happen to you. In fact, let me, let me just read verse 31 again. 
Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He'd be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. How many of you like that verse? How many of you like that verse? It's not a very hopeful verse, especially if we take out that last phrase, but after three days he would rise from the dead. If we leave out that, this is not the kind of verse that we want to that we want to put on a t-shirt or a coffee mug, is it? We don't like that. We don't like what Jesus had to endure. It's no wonder we struggle when Jesus calls us to the same kind of life. You catch that? We don't like that Jesus had to endure it. How much more do we dislike it when Jesus calls us to that same lifestyle? Take up your cross and follow me. People in the first century knew what it meant to take up your cross because they'd been walking into Jerusalem and they'd seen people hanging on the side of the road. They knew what it meant to take up your cross. So Peter rebukes Jesus. Jesus, don't say that about yourself. We'll never let you endure those things. Jesus, we're going to protect you. You know what? I don't actually know what Peter said. I don't know what Peter said. The Bible doesn't tell me that. But I do know what Jesus says to Peter. He turned around and he said, get away from me, Satan. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. If we want to follow Jesus, we have to learn to walk differently. We have to learn to see differently. Jesus told Peter, you're seeing only, only from a human point of view. Well, how's that? Well, he was curious about his place in Jesus' kingdom, right? We go back to this idea of a Messiah who's going to enlarge the nation of Israel and break the yoke of slavery. And Peter can't help but wonder, hey, Jesus, if you die, how's that going to affect my standing in your kingdom? Am I still going to be important? Am I still going to be prominent? Am I going to be one of the leading figures in your kingdom if, if you die? How am I going to be great if you're dead? How am I going to be powerful if you're gone? How am I going to be important if you are made to suffer like a common criminal? And Jesus says, you get behind me, Satan. See, we don't naturally see things from God's perspective. We don't naturally see things from God's perspective. We have to learn to see that way. We don't learn on accident. It only comes as we learn the heart of God. So we don't accidentally get in shape, right? How many of you have accidentally got in shape? Like, you're just walking around one day like, oh, my goodness, I have six-pack abs now. It doesn't happen that way, does it? We don't accidentally learn calculus. I couldn't even learn it on purpose. We don't accidentally get out of debt. We don't accidentally learn to walk 21 feet when we're paralyzed. And we don't accidentally start to see things from God's perspective. It takes time, and it takes focus, and it takes someone to help us along the way. So what do you think about Chris Norton? He set a goal of being able to walk 21 feet. Did that happen overnight? What do you think? No way. It took two years. Did Chris do it alone? No, he had help every step of the way. As we learn to give up our own way, take up our cross and follow Jesus, it will be a very similar process. And, you know, it's easy for us to look at a couple of videos or a couple of pictures of Chris Norton and say, man, I'm inspired. That's really great. I'm going to look at those two pictures again, and I'm going to be inspired. But the fact is, those two pictures only show a brief glimpse of what that two years was like. 
The truth is he spent months learning to stand up. He spent months soaked in sweat and sore and exhausted. And the improvement from Monday to Tuesday or Monday to Friday in any given week was microscopic. If we walked into the room, we wouldn't be able to see a difference that he made in one week. But over time, those tiny little improvements turned into something that everyone could see. So it is with our faith. We will make microscopic improvements from day to day, but in time, it'll turn into something that everyone can see. It'll turn into a light that cannot be hidden, a city on a hill, put on a lampstand, and it'll give light to everyone who's in the room, and it'll give glory to our Father who's in heaven. You probably won't feel different in a day or a week or in three months, but as you grow in your faith, those microscopic changes add up and eventually everyone can see. That's the work that God does in our lives. That's the work that God does in our lives. Here's how Paul describes it. He says, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. It's a lifetime process. That's the work that God does in our lives, and it's a subtle, lengthy work. But can I just tell you something? God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that work for everybody. Let me say that one more time. God doesn't do that work for everybody. He does it in people who are committed to growing. He does that in people who spend time studying their Bible. He does that in people who are committed to putting God's word into practice. He does that to people who are committed to spend time in prayer. And he does that in people who seek out other people who will help them grow. He doesn't do that in people who sit around waiting to change. Listen, I know it's hard to read the Bible sometimes. I know it's hard to read the Bible sometimes. It's full of difficult ideas and confusing stories. It's part of the reason why we're studying the Gospel of Mark right now. It's one of the most straightforward books in the entire Bible. It's the story of Jesus and how he changed the world. And you may spend time reading your Bible wondering, well, what difference is this making in my life? I'm not even sure I understand what I'm reading. But I need you to trust that as you do, God is doing a subtle work in you. As you spend time in his word, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as you spend time in his word, and as you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will learn to see differently. And as you learn to see differently, You'll start to put some of those things into practice, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously. And as you do that, you will begin to walk differently. Begin to walk differently. And as you spend time in prayer, at first you'll probably feel weird, like you're just talking to yourself. And you may want to give up, but trust. Trust that God is doing a subtle work in you. I want to say one more thing on this subject, and then we'll, we'll keep moving through our text. I need you to make sure you get this. If you try and do this alone, you probably won't be very good at it. 
if you try and do this alone, you probably won't be very good at it. And guys, you especially need to hear this because we're prideful and we want to say we can do everything, right? right? We built the Grand Canyon. We can grow in our faith on our own. I want you to remember the illustration of the journeyman we gave a few weeks ago. Uh, trying, trying to grow in your faith is, is a lot like that. You could probably, if you wanted to become an electrician, you could sit down and read your manual. Okay, chapter one, don't electrocute yourself, okay? Very good. Here's how not to electrocute yourself. And you could read the manual, and you could learn everything that the manual says about how to become an electrician, and you could, uh, once you finish the manual, you could sit down and start doing electrician stuff. But boy, wouldn't it sure be easier to have someone sitting next to you that says, hey, if I were you, I probably wouldn't rest my hand there, okay? Life's a lot easier when you have someone beside you to walk with you. So don't try to do this on your own. Be a man and ask for somebody to walk beside you. Okay? There is no shame in saying, I am not as mature in my faith as someone else. You know, there's like 200 people in this room that are more mature in their faith than me. And I am not ashamed to go to any of them. Any of the people that I go to on a regular basis and say, I'm, I'm struggling with this or I don't understand this. And I've got a lot of people that I really rely on. And I hope you do too. I hope you do too. I hope you have people that you rely on in your faith because God has 21 feet for each of us to walk. So if any of you wants to be Jesus' followers, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow him. So if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for his sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Our job is to train as hard as we can for those 21 feet. So today I want to give us a challenge. Something that we can focus on, something that we can uh, train for this week. This is going to be part of your training regiment to learn how to walk 21 feet this week. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. This week, do something that will make someone else's life better and your life worse. Fair? Do something that will make somebody else's life better and your life worse. Now, here's what I don't mean, okay? I don't want you to go to the Thai restaurant and order your dinner with a level five spice, okay? That's not going to make anybody's life better. It's just going to make your life worse, okay? Don't spill Legos all over the floor and then try to walk on them. Okay, it's not going to make anybody's life better. It's just going to make your life worse. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about here. Okay, Bob Russell gave this illustration years ago. It's about two towels. He says the first one is plush and plump and soft and luxurious. If you were staying at a nice hotel, this is the kind of towel you would expect to find in the bathroom there. And you just look at it and you know it's going to be warm and soft and it's going to dry you really quickly. And then there's the second towel hanging next to it. And this towel looks like somebody duct taped sandpaper to a shop rag. Okay? It's not plush. In fact, it's so thin that if you hold it up, you can read an eye exam chart through it. Okay? There's these two towels are side by side, and you are just getting ready to get into the shower, and you have the choice to take either one. And you stand there and you look at it. That's an awful good looking towel. That's not a towel, that's the shell of an armadillo. 
which one am I going to take? And then you ponder to yourself, I could take this towel. That means my wife is going to have to take this towel. Guys, can I just, can I challenge you? Do something this week. It's going to make someone else's life better and your life worse. Right? If you use that towel, you're probably going to need another shower afterwards to clean up from that, okay? So give your wife the better towel. Buy a stranger's meal, even if it means you have to order off the dollar menu. If you're going to watch a movie with your wife or with your girlfriend, you pick the romantic comedy that you know she wants to watch and you have no desire to see, right? Volunteer to go grocery shopping with the kids so your wife can have an hour of downtime, okay? Take out the trash when it's cold and wet and rainy so that your spouse doesn't have to smash it down into that pile and get ketchup on their hands, okay? Spend 15 seconds tidying up a public restroom. Ooh. Pass up a really great parking spot so that somebody else can get it. Take somebody's cart back when it's cold outside. Let somebody in when there's traffic. Give your coworker that last donut. Do something this week that will make somebody else's life better and your life worse. Listen, uh, those are just a few ideas. Some of them are kind of silly. Those are just a few ideas to get the juices flowing. The goal here is to look for a situation where we can serve someone else at our own expense. To not look only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. So I challenge you, do something this week that'll make someone else's life better and your life worse. Why? Because we're training. Because we're training. God has 21 feet for each of us. As we wind down, I want to show you what it looked like when Chris Norton walked his 21 feet. So I want you guys to go ahead and cut that if you would. I want you guys to notice something. Did you pay attention to how people were looking at Chris Norton? Did you notice that? Worship team, you guys can come on up here. I was struck by the fact that nobody felt sorry for him. Nobody, nobody was looking at him with pity in their eyes. Nobody felt sorry for him. There was respect. And they were proud of him and they were cheering for him. And they wanted what was best for him. Why? Because Chris was so focused on his goal of being able to walk that he wasn't aware of all the reasons he shouldn't be able to walk. And that's what I want for us in our faith. So let's be so focused on growing. Let's be so focused on our 21 feet that we aren't aware of all of the reasons that we shouldn't be able to do it. Let's be so focused on our faith and growing in our faith that people who hate the church can't help but see our resolve and respect us for it. Let's be so focused in growing in our faith that even if they do hate us, they may see the light of Christ shining from within us and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's what I want for us in our faith. So wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, let's train. Let's train to take up our cross daily and follow him. And maybe you're here today and you need to walk a different 21 feet. You're here and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus and maybe you need to walk 21 feet from your seat to right there and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think you should do it. I think you should do it today. And if you want to do that, I'm going to be right there. As we sing, you come forward and we'll talk.
Let's stand together now.